The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Over you simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Great to have you on board, as always, Peter. This is the last show of the year, December the 31st. I think many of the audience will be delighted to be putting 2020 behind us, although we are wait with bated breath what uh, the controllers have got in mind for us for 2021. There's been some developments in South Africa concerning lockdowns and COVID and all this other stuff, whatever you would call it, that they're uh, serving up to us on a daily basis. What can you tell us about the current situation in South Africa, Peter? Well, my first warning was early this week, I noticed that all leave for the military, the South African National Defence Force, as they call it, the SANDF, had been cancelled. Well, <laughs> there's only one reason for that, and that's martial law. So I kind of expected what suddenly came out on Monday night when the ANC president, Cyril Ramposa, announced going back to a level three, but an enhanced advanced level three lockdown. Now, we started in level five, which was nothing, nobody, everything locked down totally for three weeks, just three weeks, and then extended to five weeks and so on. Um but uh, we have been on level one for quite a while, and now they are taking us back to a hard lockdown level three with um, mandatory mask wearing, criminal offense uh, locked up if you don't wear a mask in public. And uh, they are, uh, of course, coming up with all kinds of other restrictions and amongst other things, banning of the sale of alcohol. And the, the main thing is a curfew between 9 p.m. through till six in the morning and the military will be patrolling with assault rifles. I, I don't know why you need assault rifles to combat a virus, but uh, in the first lockdown that we had back in March uh, this year, we literally had the military and police kill more people with gunfire uh, than had died of the coronavirus in the first week of the lockdown. So uh, that just was astounding to think that they're so committed to making sure that you don't die of the virus, they make sure you die of some other more direct cause more suddenly. Um, it, I've never seen anything quite like it, that people were willing to put up with this nonsense. And I get the impression that the uh, first lockdown was just a trial run. And uh, now they're coming out with, oh, we've got a new strain 
of it. And this is even worse. And this is going to be the second wave is going to be worse than the first. And and therefore, the regulations are going to be tougher. And so uh, to me, it looks like this has nothing to do with health. This has nothing to do with science. It's got everything to do with a political agenda about control that is suffocating and killing small businesses. It looks like big business, big tech, uh, big pharma, big government are uniting to crush small family entrepreneurs and initiatives and businesses. And uh, it's deeply disturbing. And uh, this is one of the worst threats to freedom ever. And part of this uh, new lockdown regulations three is they've banned all church services. But don't worry, you can still go to the casino. <laughs> yes, it's interesting because I'm, I'm quite curious regarding the mandatory mask wearing because I've got an actual exemption. I have breathing difficulties and I even phoned up my doctor and she said, yeah, I can do a letter for you that shows that, um, but you'll have to pay £35 for it, you know, uh, because they charge for, you know, letters and things like that. So I said, well, I don't really want to pay that. I said, uh, but you'll note it on my record. She says, yeah, it's noted on your record. So if you do get anything, um, you know, being challenged, then I keep my doctor's, um, you know, name and address and phone number in my phone. Um, but, um, and, and the other thing is, is uh, what concerns me is this mandatory mask wearing. Is there any sort of exemptions out there in South Africa? Well, um, it seems from the regulations have posted that for the first time, They've put, uh, while threatening to literally lock you up and give you a criminal record if you don't wear your mask outside uh, your home, um, they have given the first exclusion, which is uh, unless you're doing vigorous physical activity, uh, which requires heavy breathing. So I thought, well, gee, up till now they've been telling you even if you're running, jogging or in the gym, uh, doing a full workout that you've got to wear the mask. So it seems to me that they've opened a crack uh, to permit uh, people like uh, my son, who does uh, long-distance running and so on, not to wear it. So that remains to be seen. There's so much of what they say that's contradictory, of course, but uh, that uh, they have not yet seemed to accept the fact that some people have physical conditions that require them uh, not to have any impediment in the free flow of oxygen. I can't think of anything more unhealthy than undermining the, your free access to clean, fresh air. And uh, people who've had collapsed lungs, had uh, breathing problems and so on, asthma and so on, why would you want to restrict anyone's flow of oxygen? I would imagine part of it is to dehumanize people as a sign of subservience, but also it probably makes people feel sick if they actually adhere to this. So it'll give them the feeling that they're in unhealthy and unhealthy situation if you force them to wear a mask covering nose and mouth all the time that they're in public or at the workplace during day. So maybe the goal is to make you feel sick. Uh, back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, I mean, it's you see, the, the issue that I had, and we're going to get to the topic today soon, folks. Um, I, uh, we, we had an increase in the lockdowns in, in the UK, in London, where I am last week, and the Christmas that was promised to us by the government got taken away. But you could still meet someone in your support bubble, and the support bubble is where at least one person, one house, household has to have just one person in it, and they can link up with another household. But once that other household is link, linked up with that one person, no member of that household can link up with anyone else. So I'm in a bubble with my mother, and the way that they did it 
was they said that bubbles are still affected, but the mainstream media uh, are unaffected rather, but the mainstream media didn't report it, so they didn't want people uh, going to each other's houses, even though they were legally allowed to do so if they were in a bubble. So I had to find it from a press conference, um, uh, the initial press conference with Boris Johnson on the BBC, where he was asked directly about the effect it could have on people's mental health over Christmas, and he said, well, the bubbles are not affected. But the question remains is I have to get a train over to my mother's, and uh, when I get to the station, they were putting extra police everywhere to sort of question people as to why they're travelling. If they stop you for a few minutes, then you can miss the train and they're every half an hour. So then you could be stuck on a platform and exposed to other people milling about that you could give you the virus. So it's very odd the way that it goes. Um, so they clearly, I think that we talked about this before, they clearly wanted to... Uh, stop Christmas in the same way as they stopped Easter. Uh, they're not going to let that pass. We know exactly who these people are in control and their atavistic hatred of Jesus Christ. And the other thing that many of the audience are aware of, but it's worth repeating, is South Africa has acted as a petri dish for the rest of the world in recent years. Would you agree with that, Peter? Yes, um, we're something like a canary in the coal mine and uh, a bit of a guinea pig for social engineering experiments. And one man who brought this to my attention was a Dutch politician, uh, Martin Bosmer. And Martin Bosmer has uh, his masters um, in the subject of how the Dutch media lied to the Dutch people to convince the Netherlanders to betray their kith and kin, their uh, cousins in South Africa, the Afrikaners, into the hands of the Marxists. And he observed, uh, he's got a book out there called uh, Minderheit Eier Land, uh, Minority in Your Own Land, uh, where he shows how the South African whites, the Afrikaner, has now become a minority in his own country through this mass immigration and uh, all the rest of it to such an extent uh, that uh, uh, today whites in South Africa are less than 9% of the total population of South Africa. Well, that wasn't the way it was when I was born in 1960. Um, interestingly, uh, back in 1910, the Europeans, the white Europeans, were 32% of the world's population. Today, Europeans are less than 9%. It's closer to 8% of the world's population. So in some sense, South Africa has become a uh, guinea pig demographically and uh, in many other ways too uh, for the rest of the world. So what Martin Bosmer, uh, who's part of Gert Wilder's party and in, in the Freedom Party in the Netherlands, is pointing out is that what has been done to South Africa is, is a scenes from your next attraction of what's being done to the Netherlands and to the whole of Europe. And in fact, you can see many of the same trends of guilt manipulation, of gaslighting, of Stockholm syndrome, of uh, media uh, selective focus, twisting, rewriting history to such an extent that the people are uh, victims of psychological warfare, that they do not even think they can defend their own way of life, and that they dare not speak out against what they can plainly see as destroying the neighborhoods, uh, their economy, their future, their uh, the hopes for their children and grandchildren, and uh, hijacking their country, uh, bringing down their natural birth rates, and uh, importing a replacement population who are easier to manipulate for the globalists. And so... Uh, plainly, we see a hijacking of civilization. I've seen the most advanced country in Africa, the most advanced country in the Southern Hemisphere, South Africa, turned into a Marxist uh, crime syndicate-run uh, criminal enterprise and uh, 
considering the times were when South Africa was the military superpower of the Southern Hemisphere and of Africa, when South Africa produced the most advanced in everything, including the first of the world's heart transplant, heart-lung transplant, Chris Barnard, Critisky Hospital in Cape Town, uh, we uh, were producing excellence in so many different fields, such as arms corps, uh, so that even the United States were buying our uh, attack helicopter, which was designed uh, uh, to Royfalk to counter the uh, hind helicopter of the Soviets and the Americans called the Apache, and our G5s and G6s, the best howitzers in the world, 155 millimeters, and the United States were buying them for the Gulf War in 1991 because uh, South Africa had the, the best in, in the world for that. So there was a time when we were uh, leading the world on so many different things, and right now, uh, a <laughs> A degree from one of our universities is highly questionable because of affirmative action and how things have been mismanaged by the ANC government, which was forced on us, be it remembered, by the Commonwealth and by the British Foreign Office and the US State Department, the United Nations, EU, African Union, all the rest. And uh, we're now living with the consequences of this betrayal. So, yes, I think in a real sense, we are something of a guinea pig canary in the gold mine. Uh, back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And what you said there uh, links in uh, directly to the topic that you've got for us today. Folks, today's show is entitled The Real Story Behind Fake History and Fake News. So where would you like to start us off with this, Peter? Well, Andrew, there is no doubt we're living in a time of incredible fakeness. And to stand for truth in an era of fakeness, just look how we know we're getting fake news, a lot of fake news, but we're also getting fake history and fake heroes and fake narratives. There's a fake faith in the churches. You get fake gospels. You get fake healings, fake miracles, fake churches even. We know that we are getting fake education and in state schools, more like indoctrination and education. Education is teaching you how to think critically, but indoctrination is teaching you what to think. And uh, there's a big difference in education, indoctrination. I think our so-called ministries of education are more like ministries of indoctrination. We know that we have fake elections, fake votes, fake candidates. We certainly know that there's fake pandemics. And we've noticed just recently you've got fake genders, fake marriages, and fake families. They are, in fact, deluging us for, with fakeness. And truth does not fear investigation. And yet we are living in a tsunami of lies. We are being subjected to the most pervasive tsunami of disinformation in history. And this includes Hollywood's distortion of history. When you see this film is based on real events or um, uh, inspired by true events or uh, based on a true story and so on, which means some of this might have happened. But generally speaking, Hollywood's <laughs> versions of, of history is... The names might be the same, but the uh, facts have been changed in order to protect the guilty and to demonize and villainize the victims. Uh, but they don't tell you that. There's a lot of myths and legends being propagated, including in our school textbooks and in quite a few museums too. Just think of the billions of years. And lies and fake uh, narratives take the, uh, the shape of half-truths, distractions, glaring omissions, selective focus, the zoom lens instead of the wide-angle lens, there's a lot of fictional incidents. They will put in events that didn't even happen, and it can totally change 
your perception of something, and that's particularly popular in a Hollywood film where they say it's based on true events, but sometimes the most gut-wrenching incident in the film is completely fictionalized, or the uh, most damning uh, terminology used by an individual that they're trying to demonize or villainize in the film it was never said. So fictionalized incidents, imaginary anecdotes, uh, <laughs> falsely attributing quotes is a, a whole um, uh, industry these days. And uh, you can just think of the amount of things that were said hundreds of years ago, and uh, they will, in great uh, solemnness, attributed to Martin Luther King Jr. or to Nelson Mandela, where you know that that quote is said by many people for centuries before, and uh, yet this this absolute uh, fake um, hero legend myth creating industry uh, regularly wants to attribute quotes, which are in many cases good quotes, to some uh, very questionable individuals. So there's a lot of imaginary anecdotes. There's prejudicial language. Just think of how they will regularly use terms like far right-wing fundamentalist, extremist, and so on. And uh, they will use stereotypical characterizations. In fact, one-dimensional characterizations of people they want to demonize, such as white South Africans, is quite common. Inverting reality, accusing the victims of the very crimes that they themselves are guilty of. So inverting reality, making the victims the villains and the villains the victims. Manipulating emotions. There's ways just by music, by uh, the, the look in the eyes of an actor or actress, uh, the um, uh, certain way they incline the head, the body language. You can sometimes manipulate emotions by what you focus on and so on without even necessarily telling a big lie, but giving a completely wrong impression while they're claiming there's a true story. You just think of how they've absolutely demonized uh, people who um, were quite respectable in history. You just think of what they've done to try and destroy the reputation of someone like Margaret Thatcher to produce a film like Iron Lady. Uh, Meryl Streep might be a great actress, but the scriptwriter and director and the producer did a disgusting, shocking character assassination on her in that uh, very fictionalized uh, film. And you would think that uh, one of the most powerful female leaders of the 20th century, and certainly the greatest prime minister Britain had in the last century, deserved a lot better treatment than that. There's a lot of manipulating emotions. There's politically correct parrot cries, stock phrases, mantras. Just think of the mantras we've been forced to mouth this year, or, well, not that we did, but some people did, to demonize the victims, to justify aggression, you know, like Black Lives Matter, silence is violence, and so on. Um, trivializing the main issues, ignoring the key issues, focusing on side issues, reinforcing deceit with manufactured versions of the past. Now. There's a lot in the Bible that warns us of deceit. And uh, you just think of how in Revelation we're warned that Satan will go out to deceive the nations. We are told that one day God will send an angel to bind Satan so that he might deceive the nations no more. It's Revelation 20 verse 3. We're taught that Satan deceives the whole world today. Revelation 12 verse 9. So plainly Satan is deceiving nations. And we read in 2 Thessalonians 2 that the lawless one according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Ephesians 2 verse 2 speaks of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit in our works, and the sons of disobedience. 2 Corinthians 4 4 
whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on him. So we're dealing with a tremendous amount of deception. And Paul warns us that he fears, lest as the, Satan, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so the, the calling on God's people is to open the eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by me. When you look at the famous passage in Ephesians 6 about the full armor of God, we read that the first weapon is uh, the belt of truth, actually. And so putting on the belt of truth is the first weapon, the first uh, of our armor in the spiritual warfare. And so we are told that we need to defeat deceit. Uh, in Revelation, the church of Ephesus is commended, praised by God, for having tested those who say they're apostles and are not and found them to be liars. And the church of Smyrna is told, I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's Revelation 2 verse 9. In To the church in Philadelphia, we read in Revelation 3, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. We commanded not to steal, not to deal falsely, not to lie to one another. There's a tremendous emphasis throughout the Bible on the truth. And it's made very clear that it's our duty to stand for truth. And there's many passages on that. And in fact, we read in the uh, Westminster Catechism, uh, that one of the first priorities of anybody uh, in the church is to stand for the truth. And so uh, we've got this um, emphasis that the commandment against bearing false witness requires us to make a strong stand for truth. And therefore, uh, it is part of our requirements before the Lord to stand for the truth and only for the truth and to expose evil and falsehood. That's part of our calling as Christians. So uh, when you just look around us and you can see we are being lied to and just some of the lies that we've been repeatedly bombarded with in recent years i'm thinking of the fake history and uh, fake news just take billions of years you, you can how many times are you in a documentary you walk into a museum and they say billions of years ago or so many hundred millions of years ago how do they know i've asked scientists and they they say well it's conjecture based on presumption based on more assumptions and there's no way they know it's not like you pick up a rock and underneath it says 6 billion BC or something uh, you know honestly the way how you can have people uh, in the name of science talking complete conjecture because how can you measure billions of years and uh, what's scientific about it? if it's not measurable and if it's not testable it's not science it's just a theory and yet many people have taken the billions of years as fact, but it's not fact. Uh, nobody has any good evidence for that, but there's vast amounts of evidence for actually quite a young Earth, meaning just a few thousand years. And uh, that's another story, but you can go and check out Answers in Genesis website and uh, Institute on Creation Research and others for evidence of that. Just take global warming. They treat global warming like a fact of science. But I remember at school in the 70s, being told that we're heading to a new ice age. And uh, in fact, we were told in 1970s that by the 1980s, uh, there'll be um, 
ice all the way through to the equator. And uh, you'll be ice skating in Kenya sort of thing on the equator. And then the next thing was, of course, we're going to run out of petrol. Uh, ozone layer, we're all going to die of skin cancer because the ozone layer is disappearing. Uh, before the end of the 90s, the ozone layer will have disappeared totally and we'll all be um, basically fried by these gamma rays. And then you remember at the beginning of the new millennium, uh, we've got uh, this global warming to such an extent that by the year 2013, there'll be no more ice at either the North or the South Pole, and most of the cities in the world will be underwater uh, from floods. Now, remember, these are all not off-the-wall things. These were all solemnly told by UNESCO, World Health Organization, United Nations, governments. Uh, they were being pushed by people like Vice President Al Gore, who solemnly uh, told us that there would be no more ice anywhere in the world not even at the North and South Pole by the year 2013. So we, we know governments lie about these things. And of course, now we've got all this pandemic. Do, do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic in uh, March of this year, 2020, they were talking about the fact that hundreds of millions of people are going to die in the next month or two from this pandemic. And that was the justification for the lockdowns. But uh, it seems some people have a very short memory. Other lies, uh, God loves everybody equally. God loves everybody equally. But we read in the Bible that, that uh, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. So God didn't love Esau. Uh, and then we read that there's six types of people that God hates in Proverbs 6 that lists them. Um, a, a proud look, a lying tongue, a mind that thinks up wicked things, a person who stirs up trouble amongst their friends, hands that shed innocent blood. So. We know that there's categories of people that God hates, and uh, the Bible says in the Psalms, prayers by King David, a man after God's own heart, that he loves God, he loves God's law, and he hates those who are God's enemies. And uh, yet today we've got to believe that God loves everybody equally, uh, even those who blaspheming antichrist pagans and who persecute the church and kill babies. And don't worry about what the Bible says. This trumps the Bible. Uh, all... Um, people are loved by God equally, even though the scripture says that the wrath of God abides over the wicked daily, and God is angry with the wicked every day. There's a lot of verses that undermine this um, belief, this doctrine of God loves everyone equally, uh, but it seems that for many people, scripture alone is not the ultimate authority, uh, but some kind of popular culture. I remember when I was converted in the 1970s, you could get living Bibles with the word love printed on it as the covenant for that was just the title of the whole bible is love and of course that's you know the beatles were singing all you need is love and next thing you got a whole lot of people saying yes yes that's the gospel and then it was unity oh yeah, let's all link arms and sing kumbaya and uh, that's the gospel it's unity and so on and so forth sometimes it's not the church changing the world but the world changing the church and following some kind of political or social agenda there's all kinds of lies in history you take how they taught uh, and teach in many uh, schools that the Crusades were aggressive imperialistic colonizers who tried to force Muslims to become Christians at the point of the sword, which is completely and utterly false. Some of the greatest authorities on the planet dealing with the Crusades, like uh, uh, like Professor Madden and uh, Jonathan Riley Smith, uh, who have uh, studied the Crusades uh, for their whole lives and have written multiple books and said. 
The Crusades were nothing of the sort. The Crusades were defensive reactions to centuries of Islamic jihad, and there was nothing colonial about it. There was nothing imperialistic about it. It was, in fact, the very opposite. And it was fighting against the imperialistic colonizers, uh, the Muslims, who were through jihad, holy war, uh, waging war against Christians, all the way to Spain and France, all the way up to the Battle of Poitiers in France, south of Paris, all the way to the gates of Vienna, by the way, as late as 1683, uh, besieging Vienna, the heart of, of Europe in many ways. And uh, so the reality is very different. And of course, Hollywood likes the idea of supporting the small underdog and uh, the, the whole idea of, you know, our guys are always outnumbered and uh, we're the underdog and we're not well equipped. Well, in fact, uh, if they looked at it that way, the Crusaders were always undersupplied, thousands of kilometers from home um, with no real proper effective supply line. They were all volunteers. It's extraordinary that they succeeded as well as they did for centuries against such a vast horde that was outnumbering them. But of course, Hollywood prefers to portray it the other way and uh, take another lie. Islam is a peaceful and tolerant religion. Well, I've got shrapnel as uh, paperweights and as ornaments at our mission house that came from bombs dropped on our mission base, our school and our church. Even while I was preaching in churches in Sudan and we were bombed or came under rocket fire, artillery fire, I've got some of these examples of the peaceful, tolerant religion of Islam. It's so good that Islam's peaceful and tolerant. I mean, imagine if they were violent. And you just have to think of the 7-7 bombings in 2005 in London. I just think of the death threat fatwas I've received for writing a history book on slavery, terrorism, and Islam. Uh, you know, gee, um, just as well they're peaceful and tolerant. You know, imagine if they were violent. Then you've got other comments like, uh, the camera never lies. Really? The camera never lies? Um, do you really think that there was a planet uh, uh, far, far away? You know, do you think Star Wars is real? Um, long, long ago, <laughs> a galaxy far, far away. You think that's real? No, there's there's uh, all kinds of tricks of the trade and um, um, sci-fi films are fictional. Uh, that may be a shock for some people, uh, but the camera does lie and it's been used to lie in warfare. And my first history teacher in high school, who's also a member of parliament, Mr. Reese Davies, member of parliament in Rhodesian Parliament, he said to me, beware the victor's version. Wartime propaganda morphs into peacetime textbooks and never regurgitate the textbook. Good lesson to learn. And, uh, but the camera does lie and it can easily be made to lie. And I've seen pictures, for example, uh, where uh, in history books, where they said, you know, bodies piled up on what looks like pallets, piled multiple high, 10 bodies on top of one another, uh, 10 layers of bodies on top of one another being burned. And they, they say these are Jewish victims of the Holocaust. And yet the same pictures are, were published in 1945 in Life magazine as German civilians being burned in the Altmark in the village square at town square in Dresden after the firebombing on, on 14th of February 1945. In fact, if you look carefully at the picture, you can actually see these the, the wreckage of multiple story buildings in the backgrounds, uh, which are gutted by bombing. So uh, they sometimes crop it very tight so that you can't see that. But the original pictures, it's quite clear that uh, this is in a city that had been bombed and many times uh, German victims of Allied incendiary bombing, firebombing raids, uh, like the Inferno of, of Dresden, 
are palmed off as Jewish victims of Germans and concentration camps, even though there's mountains of evidence that uh, those pictures were of nothing of the sort. So the cameras do lie. There's, there's a lot of things that uh, we've seen doctored pictures. And the Soviet Union had a whole department just busy uh, doing atrocities uh, where they would uh, then either put in a German uniform people or they would have their own NKVD, uh, which is what the KGB later became. Um, the NKVD was an earlier manifestation of the KGB. And they had whole units to do atrocities in German uniforms and to pose some things to the camera. And a lot of this is palmed off as history, even in museums and uh, in some textbooks. And it's part of a psychological warfare disinformation campaign during wartime, which is continuing to be propagated. And of course, Hollywood has given a whole new life to, to the wartime propaganda. Another one that I just think of how so many people accept it, and I hear so many Christians saying animals do not have souls. Now, to prove that, they refer to a verse in the Bible that plainly proves that animals do have souls, because uh, they point out to the verse in Genesis where it says, and God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. And the word there is ruach in, in the Hebrew. And uh, the word ruach, uh, living soul, is used throughout Genesis referring to the animals. Now, it doesn't specifically say that God breathed into the animals, but they plainly are described as having ruach, having a living soul. And in fact, the word soul is used in some cases to refer to animals, not only to people in the Bible. So uh, when you look at an animal, when you look in the eyes of your pet, when you get to know, in fact, I've even had some wild animals as friends, such as a lion and a leopard. And uh, when you look into the eyes and when you know their character, what do you understand by a soul? Well, if you understand that to include memory and character and personality, then plainly animals do have that. Now, obviously animals aren't made in the image of God, but neither are angels, and angels are certainly going to be in heaven. So these are the amount of people who will just say, well, the Bible says that animals don't have souls. Where does it say that? And they point to verses which actually, if they knew the Hebrew, they'd recognize it actually says they do have souls. And there's a vast amount of, of evidence of that, that animals plainly have souls. In fact, some will concede that point, but say, but they don't have spirits. And yet the Psalms tell us that the animals, all the animals of the field and even the wild animals worship God. And how uh, even the lion uh, worships God and seeks his food from God. And the lion roars and seeks his food from God. And it speaks about how God speaks and the deer gives birth in the forest and uh, how all the animals worship God. Well, Jesus said that uh, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And yet the Psalms in many cases tell us that all the animals worship God. And Book of Revelation tells us that at the end, not only will all the redeemed people of God worship God, of every tribe, language, nation, and race, which is interesting because the people who say there are no races, and yet the Bible speaks of us being many races, and we're told that your nations don't matter, and yet we read in Revelation 5 that, in fact, God describes the people on the last day in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, as from every tribe and language and nation and race. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I thought that didn't matter, but apparently it matters enough to be mentioned in the book of Revelation uh, on uh, the great day when we all stand before God. But it's not just all redeemed people 
who worship God and all the angels, but every animal and the birds and the air and the fish of the sea and the creatures under the ground and those uh, uh, on top of the ground and every creature will be worshiping God. And it even tells us the song of the redeemed. So uh, how do people continue to have this unbiblical concept that animals don't have souls? And I've done a, quite an investigation into it and found that the reason why many people believe animals don't have souls is it dates from the Renaissance when secular humanists began to question that people and animals didn't have souls. And somewhere along the line, the church took this Renaissance secular humanist idea that animals don't have souls and took it as something the Bible teaches. But you won't get that in the Bible. And I've studied my way through every book of the Bible, summarized and preached to them and produced the books, Old Testament Survey, New Testament Survey. And I've documented many places in the Bible that speaks of animals having souls. And it's completely secular humanist, anti-Christian idea that animals don't have souls. So how terrible that so many in church now are repeating this, that animals don't have souls. Then you've got another thing. How many films depict wolves as a threat to people, like wolves are hunting people? I actually know some wolves, and uh, uh, wolves don't hunt people. Wolves are a pack animal. They, uh, a friend of mine was in the South African Air Force, and uh, he was a dog handler. And back in 1970s, South Africa started a new kind of public relations propaganda stunt of importing Canadian timber wolves to guard our Mirage um, supersonic fighter jets. And this, this really was great PR, but my friend who was part of the program as a dog handler and security at the Air Force Base at Vardacliff said, actually, the wolves are terrible guard dogs because uh, if somebody is an intruder, the wolf's going to slink away and avoid them. They, they don't like confrontation with people. And uh, they, they are not sultry animals anyway they work in a pack so you got some single wolf on patrol uh, he's going to avoid an intruder rather than confront him so what they had to do was interbreed these wolves with alsatians so that they could have the um the guard dog instinct of an alsatian with a stronger jaws and much more muscular build of a wolf and uh, even then they weren't as good as just a straightforward uh, Alsatian or Doberman, for example, as guard dogs, but it was still a great PR stunt that uh, there were wolves guarding our uh, jets at our Air Force bases. But uh, in fact, I know people who, who have wolf sanctuaries and I've interacted with the wolves. Wolves do not hunt people. And the depictions of this in movies in many cases are so false. And if you just take some of Grimm's fairy tales, which is in many people's minds, uh, Little Red Riding Hood is not a warning about wolves. It's a warning about strange people. Don't talk to strange people on the road. So Little Red Riding Hood isn't meant to be getting people anti-wolf. It's meant to be depicting, the wolf is, is depicting uh, bad people who are a threat to your kids. And let's face it, if you live in a city, your worry is not about wolves. Your worry is about a whole lot of these very bad people, pedophiles, kidnappers, rapists, and so on, who might be a threat to your child or relative or niece and so on. So uh, again, this idea that wolves are a threat to people comes from misunderstanding the whole purpose of the fairy tale. And there's another one, sharks hunt people. Well, apparently in any given year, something like eight people die from shark bites in the world, whereas millions of sharks are killed by people and many of them unfortunately by Japanese and other Asians for shark fin soup 
and they literally just cut off the fin and leave the poor shark to die a horrible death, uh, unable to steer itself in the water um, uh, because of the shark fin uh, hunting, which is... So sharks aren't hunting people, but if they did, you couldn't blame them, considering how many people have been hunting sharks. Snakes stalking people. You get this depicted no end that snakes are... Now, I've been in the bush a lot. I've spent years in the jungle and the bush in Africa, throughout Africa, across all the way from South Africa in the south up to Sudan, Nigeria in the north and the Congo. And um, I've seen vast amounts of snakes in my life. And I've, I've actually even stepped on one uh, on one occasion. And that was a very deadly one, a puff adder. And when it's, it, it was lying sleeping across the path and I didn't notice and I felt something squishy, I heard the hiss. I looked down and I did some kind of backflip pirouette. Uh, I don't know how I could have done that because I'm not a gymnast, but uh, it's amazing what fear can do in adrenaline. And um, by the time he struck, I was out the way and everyone else in the hiking group was laughing at my antics until they saw why I'd uh, done this amazing, physically impossible feat. Um, but uh, that uh, snake was not stalking me. I foolishly stepped on the snake. And that's how most people get bitten by snakes because they step on the snake. And the snake may be being cold blood creatures lying across the path and he's sleeping and he's in a comatose state and he doesn't hear or feel the vibrations of you coming and the first thing he knows is when this clumsy human steps at him so he's not biting you because he's hunting you or stalking you he's biting you because you stepped on him and that's how most people get snake bites in africa is, is we step on him and uh, in fact in all of south africa i don't think we have even 80 deaths by snake bites in a given year and considering we have 60 million people that's insignificant when you think that 20,000 people are murdered by people every year and how many die from car accidents every year, uh, which uh, is staggering. Uh, snakes and sharks are the least of our problems. It's a rare year that we even have one person die of a shark attack. And in many cases, when a shark attacks someone around the coasts of South Africa, it's, uh, it's a mistaken identity because people wear black wetsuits, look like seals, and the shark comes from underneath, he thinks you're a seal, and normally he sort of spits out, <coughs> yuck, sorry, uh, mistake, you know. And uh, the person might have got some severe bite, uh, leg injury and so on, uh, but the shark wasn't hunting them. He thought this was a seal. Good reason not to wear black wetsuits swimming around the Cape because we've got a lot of sharks around here. And uh, But these are just in the common mind, uh, and it's the wrong ideas. And there's so many lies. You just think of... Abraham Lincoln was America's greatest president. He saved the country, which is um, complete and utter lie. Every other country in the world managed to end slavery without a civil war. And Abraham Lincoln, in fact, uh, suspended the Constitution, uh, literally uh, arrested everything from members of Congress, legislators, uh, Supreme Court justices, uh, editors, closed down newspapers. He was a dictator, actually. And... Uh, there's a lot that's been written, and we'll deal with him another time. Think of the lie, the First World War was the war to end all wars. Hmm. Or the kings and emperors were to blame for the First World War, which is actually completely false. Every one of the kings and emperors were opposed to the war and tried to hold their countries back from war. It was the deep state politicians who were pushing for the war, and it certainly wasn't the kings and emperors who did everything they could to stop it, especially in the case of Kaiser Willem, who gets the blame but Kaiser Willem was not, in fact, a warmonger. He had been in power for 
many years and he hadn't fought a single war before 1914 and he had backed down from any possible military uh, confrontations including over Morocco crisis and uh, when they say that Germany is militaristic and expansionistic and set in world domination well actually if you look at the map that's what France and Britain and America and Russia were doing uh, world domination <laughs> and uh, uh, when you think of how Germany in the Second World War never had an aircraft carrier, never had a four-engine bomber, uh, never built a landing craft, uh, and uh, didn't uh, uh, do any of the things necessary for world domination. Even when they took France, they did not bother to take the French Navy, which was three times larger than the Kriegsmarine, and they actually had aircraft carriers and, and far bigger and more ships than Germany. And although Germany had to give up their whole navy at the end of the First World War, uh, they never required France to hand over their navy. And if they were set in world domination, that would have been a phenomenal help towards that end. So there, there's so many things in history that are complete and utter falsehoods. Uh, there's so many things like Lenin overthrew the Tsar of Russia. Not actually. Uh, the Kerensky's government, the parliament, the Duma, overthrew the Tsar, and then Lenin overthrew the Duma, the, the parliament. And that gives the lie to the idea that the Tsar was an autocrat and that there was no uh, freedoms in, in Russia and that they needed the revolution to bring in democracy. Not so, because from 1905, Brit uh, Russia had a Duma, had a parliament, and it's a parliament that forced the Tsar to abdicate, which, which just proves that we are being given lies, lies, more lies all over the place. So. There's many things that we could say. I, I think we probably need to uh, continue this on another occasion, uh, just on the lies we've believed and the fake history and the fake news, which we are inundated with. But the scripture makes it clear. Remove from me the way of lying. The truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. These are the things you should do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in the gates for truth, justice, and peace. And uh, this is what we are required to do. We should not accept the fake news. We shouldn't accept the fake views. Uh, we shouldn't accept the uh, fake pandemics, the fake elections, the fake genders, the fake marriages, the fake uh, faith, uh, the fake candidates, uh, the fake votes, or any of the other fakes around us, because truth does not fear investigation and facts are stubborn things. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, this brings me to um, the book of Deuteronomy uh, 28.1. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And then when we go to uh, verse 15 of chapter 28, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And I think historically when you look at what um, uh, the white race has done throughout the world, the culture and the inventions and all these different things that we brought to the world. Isn't it interesting how now we've become the most downtrodden people 
we're referred to as pretty much evil racists and uh, you know um, we need to do this that and the other for all these other races whereas in the past we were uplifting these people by introducing culture to their lands and what have you something that you continue to do with your missionary work throughout Africa at great uh, personal uh, risk to your personal safety and I think that those two verses are so important because many people out there today will be saying you know I, I can't believe God would allow all this evil to go on in the world well he isn't you are and I know how difficult it is I feel this myself and I'm sure Peter does too you know we come out and, and present the truth as we see it we're Christians and we talk about the biblical law but unfortunately as Peter has said so many times God judges nations and whilst uh, Peter myself and many of you listening do our very best to follow God's law we are in a tiny minority in our nations and so unfortunately we're having to go through the suffering that all the people who don't follow these laws are bringing upon us what are your thoughts on that Peter that is so true uh, we've got a duty to stand up for the truth and we need to expose the enemies of the truth and God judges nations he judges individuals in eternity but he judges nations in time and and on earth now so you could be an unrighteous member of a righteous nation and enjoy the benefits and blessings and well in fact we've all uh, benefited from the uh, sacrifices of previous generations who were very blessed and who built the great cathedrals and things that we benefit from today uh, and inventions and so on that uh, that improve our life expectancy and health so there's no doubt that that there are unrighteous people who benefit from the the righteousness of others and the sacrifices and foresight of others. Uh, but then it's also true that you could be a righteous person, so to speak, living in a wicked time. And even though you're going to enjoy eternal life and eternity in heaven, on earth you will suffer the consequences, whether it be war, economic collapse, uh, whether it be disease, degradation of, of the environment and so on, which is the consequence of a wicked generation. So uh, I think having this idea that God not only judges individuals in eternity, but he judges nations now on earth. And uh, we can we can see these principles. And therefore, that's why we're commanded in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that when we see plague or famine or uh, drought or war or any of these judgments, uh, as God calls them, his dreadful judgments uh, coming, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive this sin and I will heal their land. And so uh, this is a call to all who call themselves by God's name, all who call ourselves Christians or followers of Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, we should be um, humbling ourselves, seeking God's face, turning from our wicked ways. If, if we are doing that, then God promises to hear our prayers to forgive us and, and to heal our land. And if we want God to heal our land, we need to do what he commands, which is humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. I couldn't agree more. This is really what we're facing, folks. We've made a real pig's ear, unfortunately, of certainly the last couple of centuries on this planet with our... Um, the fact that we've walked away from God, the fact that we've allowed things like a separation of church and state. Well, isn't that interesting? Because some uh, churches, if you want to call them that, you, you can have Muslim schools, you can have these Hebrew academies, things like that, but separation of church and state seems to only apply to Christians. So there's clearly some people who don't want Christians to be able to 
be taught in the Christian uh, moral manner and I believe that that's all part of what we're seeing today with the lockdowns and the vaccines and all these different things that seem to target the elderly first because they want to get rid of that knowledge, that um, moral way of life that people in their 70s and 80s and what have you were brought up in uh, and uh, you know and, and they need to erase history which has been the purpose of this program today Peter we've got about a minute left your comments and uh, where people can find your work please yes yes well if the if the good people won if we fought a good war in the second world war why has the world got worse since and as my father said who fought all six years second world war if we could have seen what would have happened to our country, then we wouldn't have fought against one another. We would have fought together against the real enemy. And if you want uh, more details from our mission, it's uh, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontlinemissionsa.org is our website. Mission at frontline.org.za is our email. And uh, you can find me also on Facebook, Peter Hammond, and uh, also, of course, Frontline Fellowship. We're on the web. I, I would be glad to hear from anyone uh, who's interested in more details of these lies that we've believed and misinformation, uh, it's our call to stand for the truth. So don't let anything intimidate you. Truth does not fear investigation, and truth is more powerful than lies. Thank you. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And folks, it's the last day of the year today, so if you are doing anything, I hope that you have a wonderful time. I want to thank Peter so much for joining me today. I want to thank all of you for listening. Have a wonderful celebration, whatever you may be doing. I'll be at home, as I always am, on New Year's Eve. I'm not big on that. Again, I'll be back with you all tomorrow. Until then, folks, have a good day, and bye.